What is up, everyone? Welcome back. We're here for episode two of Yanks Go Talking. I'm Jake, one of your hosts today, and I'm here with Tom. Um, I think something happened last night. Can you tell the people what's going on? Oh, a lot of something's happened last night, Jake. We had the CONCACAF Nations League final last night, where the USA triumphs 3-2 over Mexico after extra time. The Yanks get a trophy. We go home happy, and it was possibly the most wild, entertaining, bizarre match that I have ever watched in my life. Too true. Two true words have never been spoken. So we, we have a packed agenda, obviously. A game like that warrants a episode like this. And just to break it down for you guys, you're going to want to stay till the end to see some speedball, which is going to be our version of just breaking down a speed round of every single thing that happened in the game, giving ourselves 60 seconds to talk about it as much as we can get. But first, we're going to revisit the keys to the game that we talked about in our last podcast. Uh, We're going to go through Tommy's tactics room, where we're going to break down the tactics from last night. And then we're going to go through our stars and strikes. So picking some of the key players that we saw as stars maybe some moments that we wanted to strike out of our memories. And we're going to go through the top things that we want to break down from last night. There's probably about 20 that we could have done. We're going to smush it down into five, and then we're going to go to our speedball round. Tom, you ready? I'm ready. Let's get into this game. We can All spend right. like five hours, so how are we <laughs> going to do this in an hour, Jake? <laughs> Man, I have no clue, but we're going to try. So first off, let's revisit our keys to the game. We had transition defense for the U.S. What do you think happened last night? I think this really has to be a tale of two halves, because when we talk about the first half of this game, the U.S. was awful in transition defense. And we saw it from the very beginning, second minute, bad turnover by Acosta in the midfield leads to some really sloppy play from McKenzie, leads to a goal. And so, but I think in the second half, we tightened up a lot and we saw a lot better job sort of limiting transition opportunities. Definitely. Definitely agree. Our second one was the USB lethal in front of goal. What'd you think? A mixed bag. I I think Gio Reyna and Weston McKenney took this to heart. But other players, Josh Sargent specifically, probably could have been a bit more clinical. Definitely. I'd love to see Sargent get on the, the score sheet at some point. Uh, this summer. Don't know if he plays in the Gold Cup, but we'll see. So our third one was creating offense from our defense. What'd you see? Well, we had some moments in the first half. This game kind of went off the rails a little bit in the second half, but especially in the first half, I thought that we created two or three pretty good chances, disrupted Mexico, especially the second half of the first half, about 27 minutes through 45. We looked pretty good. We were making steals, turning it into transition offense, getting chances. Second half, I'm not really sure if I saw it as much as I would have liked, though. I I think that this is still an area where if we're going to run this Burhalter system, we've got to improve. Yeah, definitely. Yesterday was an interesting game in terms of Burhalter, and we'll we'll get to the tactics in a second. Uh, But just the way that we came out trying to play Burhalter ball and then maybe changed our tactics a bit as the game progressed. Let's make a move on into those tactics. The first thing that we wanted to talk about and touch on was the USA starting formation. 
we got some information uh, about a day before the game was going to start that Greg was considering starting a three in the back. What happened? Well, so after the Switzerland and Honduras game, it was very clear that the 4-3-3 was not working without Tyler Adams. Jackson Ewell wasn't cutting it. Greg was unwilling to try Kellen Acosta in that position. So he decided that to deal with Mexico, he needed an extra defender on the field, which is what he did in a very surprising way possible. Uh, he went with Zach Stefan Ingle, which was expected. Then he went to a back three center back system of Tim Ream at left center back, John Brooks in the center of the three, and Mark McKenzie on the right. He had two wing backs playing. He had on the left and Yedlin on the right. His two-man midfield was Weston McKenney and Kellen Acosta. And then the front three was the very interesting hybrid front two center attacking mid front false nine. It, it was it was a fluid system with Reyna, Pulisic, and Sargent across the front. Reyna on the left on the right wing, Pulisic on the left wing, Sargent. Sort of hybrid striker false nine. Yeah, definitely. It it definitely ran the gambit in the amount of formations that we were trying all in one. So one of the things before the game we talked about was Tim Ream at left center back. How do you think he did? I've seen mixed reviews on it. Majority were negative, and I, I tend to agree. I took pretty detailed notes on this match, and there are a lot of instances of Tim Ream got beat. Tim Ream got beat. <laughs> Tim Ream couldn't handle it. Tim Ream blown past 1v1. He had some good recoveries, he made some good passes, but all in all, I thought he just looked a little too slow for this game. Most of the big Mexico chances, if you watch, came from a play that started where Tim Ream got beat, like you said. Um, so mm-hmm. in terms of the starting formation, we saw the 5-2-3, we saw kind of 5-4-1, and Kellen Acosta came in for Jackson Ewell from the Honduras game. That was one of the changes we saw. And a surprising change was DeAndre Yedlin playing right wing back and Serginho Dest on the left. So we played a three at the back without Anthony Robinson. How do you think Greg did in terms of his starting formation and the players that he trotted out? I wasn't sure what to make of it. I, I thought Dest just looked a little uninvolved on the left. I really would have seen Robinson and Dest both playing their natural positions as wingbacks. I think that might have been a little bit more defensively sound. I'm really still not quite sure what the logic was there. I thought Yedlin was okay. He wasn't great, but he was serviceable. Yeah, I'm wondering if he wanted Yedlin in as a veteran and someone that had been in big games before. But And credit to him as well. He had a, a good game all intents and purposes. But you're right, Dest, who's usually one of our more dangerous players, was really silenced on the left. So moving from the U.S. now to the Mexico team, something that wasn't really discussed as much as the formation and the players was the game plan that Tata Martino trotted out. Can you talk to us a bit about the game plan that Mexico started with? Yeah, there... Honestly, credit to Tato Martino for his starting game plan because he really outcoached Burhalter for a solid 25 minutes at the start of the game. He trotted out, instead of a back five, which we had seen in the semifinal, he trotted out a 4-3-3 and moved a couple players around into some surprising positions. He took 
all of his strikers off the field and put Chucky Lozano in as a false nine and even took Diego Linez off and played with him, brought him in off the bench. From there, his game plan was obviously a high-pressing Beelzebal-style system where they were going to press the U.S. hard to create transition opportunities and try and beat our build-out-of-the-back system. And it worked. The goal of their system was target Tim Ream whenever they have the ball, and whenever they're trying to press to win the ball back, well, they were going after Mark McKenzie. And both of those were working fantastically for them for the first bit of the game. I thought the most masterful wrinkle in Martino's game plan was really pressing John Brooks. And if they weren't in the position to press, not allowing him to switch balls with his left foot, but really forcing the U.S. to make passes out of the back from Tim Ream and Mark McKenzie, like you said. And obviously, in the second minute of the game, that broke down and Mexico got their first goal. Yeah, it was really a disaster start from the U.S. And you got to credit Tata Martino for doing everything right to create that disaster start. Absolutely. Because it, they looked so disorganized. Nothing was working. The build, I literally have a note about the 10th, 12th minute that build out of the back is just not working at all. And we got to change something up because yeah. it was just, it was bad. <laughs> You're, I knew the score when I was watching it because I was watching a recording the, the next day. And I still had bad feelings as a U.S. fan after they scored that first goal. I knew it was going to happen, oh, yeah. but I can't imagine the dread that you're feeling going down one nothing two minutes in, and your game plan is absolutely shattered by Mexico. Oh, yeah. No, I literally texted a few people. I was like, okay, this game is about to just get off the rails, get <laughs> destroyed here. This is, this is bad. <laughs> yeah, it was not, not a great start. Not a great start. So obviously, U.S. comes back uh, to win the game and in large part because of some of the substitutes that Greg made. Although wild and wacky as they were, it seemed to be quite effective. What do you think of Greg's substitutes? They were wild, but they worked. I, I think the first substitute he made was the most insane substitute that he's ever made in his tenure as a U.S. coach. He brought off Sergio Dest to play Tim Weah at left wing back for about 10 minutes, which was just a bizarre switch, but ended up being really effective. Tim Weah was really, really good, both when he was left wing back and later on as a winger. We thought Dust wasn't playing as well as he could have. Weah added that spark that really got the U.S. offense going. So it was all in all a good chance, all in all a good change. I also thought that Gio Reyna switching into that left wing back spot some to allow Wea to push forward was a good tactical wrinkle as well. Unfortunately, it probably could have gone a little bit better for the U.S. I think doing that while it was a good wrinkle offensively did directly lead to Diego Linez's goal. I, I don't think that Reem was protected enough defensively and Linez just feasted when yeah. he when Reem was on the field the entire time. I got really tired of writing about Linez as the second half wore on. Credit to Mexico, and we can say whatever we want about the fans, or we'll talk later about what happened on the field last night. But every time they got the ball in the attacking third, they were scary. I was scared of Linez. I was scared of Lozano. I was scared of every Mexico player that touched the ball near our box. Oh, I was too. It was... 
very, very terrifying to watch them play. They they definitely create a lot of chances, and it they can be lethal, and we saw that multiple times last night. Yep, absolutely. So let's move on to our stars and stripes. Who are your stars from last night? Uh, I know we want to give three, and I will give three, but there are so many players who deserve a mention in this segment. Let's go ahead and break down my three stars so for the night. At the end of regulation, I would have said something completely different from what I'm going to end up with. So my first star... <laughs> this is going to be controversial. Yeah, it's going to be controversial. Up. My first, The first star, I have to give it to Weston McKenney. And I usually give three stars to my man of the match. Weston McKenney deserved the man of the match last night. And he's not going to get it because of just how insanely off the rails that game went in extra time. But Weston McKenney was everywhere the entire match. He Nothing that happens in extra time happens without Weston McKenney just willing the U.S. forward to victory. He was everywhere. He was on defense. He was on offense. He was creating transition opportunities. He was taking shots. And probably his best attribute of the game was his just unplayable nature headers off of corner kicks. He had five free headers in the box on corner kicks, I think. Four of them led to shots. Three were on target. The one that wasn't on target went off the post for a Reina tap-in. One of them ended in a goal. Mexico had no answers for him last night. And in addition to all of that, he just he's just such a good player for a CONCACAF game. Every single time, and we saw it multiple times, where the Mexico team would look like they were about to start a fight with the U.S., McKenney is right there in the center, looking like he is ready to throw fists. He and has that the is just, best faces. He's probably our most <laughs> gifable player, I would say. Oh, 100%. There are multiple times last night where you get a good freeze frame of him just like, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely want to have him by your side in in a bar fight. Um, So the people want to know, Weston is your first star. He's not man of the match. Don't keep them waiting any longer. Who's number two and who's your man of the match? I got Christian Pulisic with my second star. I thought he was pretty invisible for most of the game but as the game wore on through the second half he created a lot more chances looked a lot more dangerous i think we talk about him a little bit more if the referee actually calls several of the fouls that went uncalled on him throughout the second half uh but the this star is literally for the penalty to win that penalty then after the long delay step up to the spot say i want this go top corner and beat ochoa in the 114th minute only to rush over and silence the Mexican fans is just, that's an iconic U.S. moment. That's going to go down in history. It was ice (laughs) ice cold. It was a true Captain America moment for me. He just, that that's just something you don't see very often and props to him for the insane penalty. We just got to send him to the Arctic now and stop uh, global warming. I think we uh, found please, it. Please, <laughs> let's do it. I think we got the solution. It's Christian Pulisic. <laughs> so who's your man of the match, Tom? It can't be anyone except Ethan Horvath. Subbed on in the 63rd minute for Zach Steffen after an injury. Comes in to make some massive saves, both at the end of regulation and in extra time. Keeps them in the game. And then to save a 123rd minute penalty from Guardado to prevent penalty kicks. I mean, that's... If I were to write that script and turn it into Disney, they would laugh me out of their offices. You can't make that up. Yeah, you cannot. So 
With without getting too deep into any of those players and spending another four hours on that, give me one moment that you would stripe over. What's your maddest moment from the game? My maddest moment, I'm pretty sure that I just have written down Hector Herrera. That 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 that's all I can say about it because I'm pretty sure I clocked him at three separate moments where he should have had a red card. Yeah, I don't think and anyone was needed called. other than his name. No. No, he, he really deserved to be sent off probably three different times throughout the game. It was really frustrating. I thought that stubs up challenge to Horvath's chest was dirty, and he immediately in the ensuing fight goes grabs McKenney by the throat, and then less than 10 minutes into extra time goes two foot studs up on Wea and somehow comes away without a card. Yeah. I thought for what it was, the ref had a pretty good game for CONCACAF. Probably not a great game as a global ref. But that was just absolutely terrible on his part. Three challenges, three times that he deserved at least a yellow, if not a red, for all of those individual plays. Yeah. All right. No, the ref... Go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to move us on. So do you want to say anything else about the ref? No, I'm sure we will get into it as we go through the (laughs) concacafi nature of the game. Yes, yes, we will. So concacafi is our theme today. We have our top five moments. They're going to be the Pulisic penalty kick is first up. What do you have to say there? I mean, it's just, it's a controversial VAR call that led to some bizarre moments is and an excellent finish. Is I it? I don't know. There was lots of debate about it online last night. Some landing on the side of, that's probably not a penalty. Some landing on the side of, yeah, that's a penalty. It. Pulisic drives into the box, splits two defenders. The defender does get to the ball first, but he does come right across Pulisic and basically hip-check him to the ground. And he had cleared the ball right into Pulisic's path. So you could argue that it was get, it was a good penalty call. You could argue that it wasn't. I landed on the side live watching it of, that's a penalty, please blow your whistle, ref, and was glad they went to VAR check and gave the penalty. Definitely. I try to reduce my bias as much as possible, and it's truly impossible when you're watching a match like that against your biggest rival. But if any of the two penalties were going to be called, it was absolutely the Pulisic one. Um, Watching it in slow motion, especially from the VAR views, I thought that gave you a better insight into just how much the Mexican defender impeded Pulisic on his run. So how Mm. about the actual shot? Oh, man, you could talk about this shot at length, and I will never get tired of watching replays of it. Because he, and he said in his interview, he was going to go out swinging, so he chooses to go top 90, which is a really gutsy call, and he could have easily skied it. But he keeps that down. You could have told Ochoa he's going to put the ball right here, and Ochoa still would never have saved that shot. No, you could have had two Ochos. They wouldn't have reached it. Yeah. No, it is literally a perfect penalty. Now, and Pulisic, he pulled proved me wrong. Pretty, pretty heavily proved me wrong. I really, really don't like his penalty ability usually. I think he's a pretty weak penalty taker. And I actually said that. I was watching with my sister through the second half, and I told her, I was like, I'm scared for this penalty. Pulisic is not a great penalty taker. And he pulls that out of his hat. 
I mean, yeah, I think he missed his last penalty that he took for the U.S., which was at waist height, softly to the side of the keeper. Um, Mm -hmm. So to do that and then do the interview after the game saying, you know, I might as well go out swinging. I might as well go top bins and see what happens. I mean, we (laughs) I think it's hilarious that before the game started and we were talking about the possibility of penalties, just thinking about all of the inexperienced penalty takers that the U.S. has and the the youth kind of being disadvantaged in a penalty shootout. And then for Pulisic to do that, I mean, I'm happy to be silenced. I am happy to be silenced with that shot. Oh, 100%. I, I will take being silenced by that penalty every single day. And it's not the first time Pulisic's done that to me. He did it to me twice in this match, actually, because I have always thought he wasn't a good set-piece taker, and he was excellent all night delivering set-pieces. Yeah. So he, he just continues to surprise me and continues to elevate his game. Can you imagine what he's feeling right now? Like that, He's got to be on top of the world, right? Champions League champion. U.S. Nations League champion. Winning the penalty, scoring the penalty, top 90 against your nation's biggest rival, Shushing the crowd as soda, beer, piss just goes all over you and your teammates, and you get to hold up the medal and the trophy at the end of the game. I mean, I can't imagine what that feeling is. Now, do you think that that cements him as quote unquote Captain America? Do you think that that's enough to earn him the armband going forward? I think it was a moment that cements him as Captain America. I I'm less convinced that he's the future captain. And we know with the young group, Greg has really rotated the captain's armband a lot. But McKinney makes a a really good case for himself this game. Tyler Adams, when he's healthy, is an incredible leader. John Brooks is on record a few weeks ago saying that he wants to be the captain of the U.S. and take them to the next World Cup. So if... Genuinely, if they all have those moments where they're fighting for the captain's armband and we have a lot of leaders in camp, I'm a happy camper. I'm a happy U.S. fan. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably the right take on it. I mean, Wes McKenney showed last night that he's going to go in and fight literally anyone to protect his players. Brooks has shown at this tournament that he's willing to do the dirt work in CONCACAF, and he is truly the only one to have World Cup experience. So there, there's a lot of good choices. But Pulisic, man, last night, he showed lots of leadership in that extra time period. Because not only does he do that, as we'll discuss later on, I thought he threw a really big role on Horvath's penalty, too. Definitely, definitely. So let's move on to that one, the Horvath penalty save. Oh, man, this was another big moment. This was another controversial VAR review. And if I feel like I lean on the side of this being a makeup call... But we have a headed ball in the box that is headed head-to-hand into Mark McKenzie, whose arm is out, but he's trying to bring it down to his side. It's a really, by the letter of the law, we've seen it called in European leagues all year this year as a penalty. What do you think of it? Yeah, I was going to say, if you've watched any European football (laughs) this season, you're probably not surprised that it's called. I still don't like it. I'm still not forced to like that rule. It's really tough. I mean, at some point, the rule needs to get 
better and I understand why it is in such a format where it's trying to be a bit more black and white. But you have to look at that and say, he's putting his hand closer to his body. The ball hits his hand, it's not the other way around. And there's not a chance for him to react. So I think with those mm-hmm. three things, you kind of have to take a, an individual look at that and say, you know what, maybe the letter of the law says yes, but I'm watching this and, and saying no. But again, that could be my bias. I'm, I'm with you that it might be a makeup call. I think the Mexican team and the fans really influenced the ref. I think, again, for a CONCACAF ref, he had a pretty good game, but that was along with some of the yellows and reds that went uh, without any any calls. This was probably my least favorite of his. Yeah, I agree. And I knew it was going to be called, too. I, I was sitting there basically like the second I saw the replay, I was like, oh, damn, they're going to know give it's going to be called. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was coming. You had the pit we in the stomach. The, yeah, I had the pit in the stomach. We were chatting in the discord and all of us knew this is happening. We don't want it to happen. It doesn't deserve to happen, but we're we're going to penalties here. <laughs> yep. So what about the actual save for Porta? Oh man. Well, first off, by another fight breaking out. And there were several of these that broke out as the game went on. And it doesn't phase him one bit. Guardado hits a pretty good penalty. It's low, it's hard, it's to the left of the keeper. Horvath goes right down, guesses the right way, and makes a good arm save to keep it out. For a substitute, you cannot ask for a better penalty save than that. No, he was phenomenal all game. He had one moment the first time Mexico made it into the box after he came on. But from there, uh, absolutely incredible game. You think uh, any scouts are watching? Any teams are thinking about picking him up after that performance? So currently, his contract situation is that he has no contract. He's a free agent after next month. So I would imagine that the European scouts and European managers across the continent are waking up tomorrow and today and just immediately contacting his agent. He's going to get paid as a result of this game. Yeah, cash money. I saw uh, on TransferMarket.com that... Ethan Horvath was the most searched for player in the last 24 hours. <laughs> Deserved. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, his value totally shot up. And I thought that Ethan Horvath as a whole added something that I added a different look than Zach Steffen. And I had almost wanted to see him start this game and I actually joked about seeing him sub onto the game, not wanting him to actually have to because Zach Steffen had a really bad game in distribution and Horvath was a lot better with his beat. Yeah. And And let's not forget those two final shots that he stopped. Um, One was off sides, I think, but that last shot that he stopped fingertip save incredible shot from the Mexico player. I mean, all around from the penalty save at the very end of the game. I, I don't doubt you for one second for giving him the man of the match. Oh yeah, he was tremendous. That save especially stood out to me as just a thank you for bearing that <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So we've talked about two of the players. There was a moment where Mexico's coach was sent off with a red card because he put his arm around the ref while the ref was looking at the possible Pulisic penalty for VAR. What do you think about the Martino red? 
use the right word. Uh, I, I almost think amused is the right word for me. Where Tata Martino almost casually is just like, yeah, the ref is, ref is my friend here. Ref is totally going <laughs> to I don't think he away. expected him to react at all. No, he didn't expect him to react at all. The ref immediately turns around and flashes a red. It was really, really <laughs> funny to watch in real time and really chaotic. I was sitting there like, oh, wow, this VAR, we've got to get a penalty. Wait a minute, did they just show Martino red? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, on the TV, um, like on the broadcast, you could see a little box with a view on the ref. And you, you didn't know who put the arm around the ref and you didn't know who got the red at first. And then it shot to another pan of Tata getting the red. I, I love this little clip. I posted it on my Twitter feed um, of Greg trying to console both the ref and Tata Martino. And when he sees a card in the air, he double checks. He does a double pivot with his head to look and see that it was a red card. That's great. Greg, he played that really well. And, you know, at some level, this was really bad field design more than anything. Yeah. Why in the world, in a game between U.S. and Mexico or any two CONCACAF teams, is the video monitor in between the two coaches? You know, what? I hadn't like, even thought of that. <laughs> it's such a ridiculous place on the field to put that. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, we have enough trouble with refs as is in this region, and giving both teams a chance to crowd him and influence decision that way is just, it's a bad idea. <laughs> yep. And then I think he thought to himself, oh man, I got a red, uh, this isn't good, but you know what, I'm going to take my time leaving the field to try and ice out Bula six penalty. Did you see the moments where he was just chilling on the sideline and the ref had to go back over and shoo him away. Yeah. It did a little it was, shoe movement with his hand. Great to see. It was, yeah, that was entertaining. I, I, I thought that was funny. Actually, they stopped the game and the fourth official came over and was like, Hey, he's still on the field. <laughs> what's he doing here? Didn't you send him off like five minutes ago? <laughs> hey, he's like, what's happening, dude. He's still here. He's got to leave. Um, all right, so that led to some additional interesting moments, and we touched on uh, a moment where, well, a few moments when Herrera and his actions started some altercations on the field. Talk to me about some of the fights. Yeah, is this game we're on? It's U.S.-Mexico. They got mad at each other. There were five or six moments where there were some comings together and tempers really flared. I think the first of them was the first one. The I think the first one was the Horvath studs up uh, from Herrera, mm -hmm. where immediately the U.S. jumps to Horvath's defense and things get heated. And that fight lasted a good while, but it was not the only one. We saw at least two in regulation. We saw at least four in each extra time period. It was tempers flared. It was a true U.S.-Mexico game. And it was just... It got the ref lost control. There were two different players who got choking warnings in this game for putting their hand on McKenney's neck. I really hate that the word warning is after choking. If, yeah. if we're going to go by the letter of the law for the handball VAR call, then putting your hands on an opponent's player or face or neck and getting a warning, that just doesn't seem right to me. 
Oh, no, 100%. And it's all because that ref was totally scared of the Mexican fans and the players and coaches in general. They, <laughs> he felt very intimidated. But, yeah, I mean, Herrera's already on a yellow card. If you're giving him a choking warning, like, send him yeah. off at that point. A, he a he yellow totally deserves it. is a warning. If you take any yeah. referee courses or coaching courses, the yellow is specifically there to help you warn players that if they do that again, or if they have another altercation, they're going to be sent off. Um, so you mentioned the ref was scared of the fans, and there was some moments in the game where there was a lot more trash on the field. So what do you think there? What happened? Oh, man, this is not the first time we've seen this, and it won't be the last time. But once things started to go south for Mexico, and I think really it started with the Pulisic penalty and continued from there. I don't think there was anything thrown before that, right? I don't think so. We, but we did get the close up at that point with the Pulisic penalty. Yes, but at that point, basically everyone in the first 15 rows decided to vent their frustrations by just chucking stuff onto the field. And it got dangerous really fast. We saw cans, we saw bottles, we saw souvenir cups, we saw plastic cups. There was just anything that was each was thrown, and it got really dangerous. I mean, the litter on the field after Pulisic's goal was insane, and it ended up having to treat Reyna for a concussion because he got hit in the eye by something, I think it was a souvenir cup. Yeah, Gio Reyna was a substitute at the time, got hit with something from the fans, and had to be treated for a concussion. So absolutely Mm -hmm. terrible behavior on behalf of the fans that were in the stadium. Do you think there's anything that that should be done about it? Yes, there should be. I've been to two games now where something has been done about it, and I don't know if Denver did this or not, but when I was living in Nashville, a fan actually hit the ref with a beer after a really frustrating loss. And he was ejected, charged for trespassing and banned for charged for assault and trespassing and banned from the stadium for life. And the same thing happened just two weeks ago at a New Mexico United game where New Mexico lost on a really frustrating red card decision. And a fan tried to throw something at the field, missed, hit another fan in the back of the head with his beer and was same fate happened to him. If you're throwing anything into the field of play, it is minimum banned for life, charged with trespassing, trespass from the stadium. Yeah. If you hit someone, it should be a felony assault charge. And they didn't just hit Reyna. They hit a Mexico they, player. Yeah, they <laughs> hit props to this, too. This fan really hit a great throw. Laser aim. Laser aim. There are six player U.S. players standing around Pulisic on the ground. And they lasered one into Henry Martin's head. Right off the dome. So was I, one of the more, yeah, it, it was definitely one of the more amusing moments of the fights that broke out at the end. And we, we can't see this anymore. We, yeah, we just can't. Agreed. You know what? We're, we're calling it amusing. It's fun to look at the next day. But for the players on the field and the rest of the fans that are around them, absolutely abhorrent from the, any fan that throws. Um, in this day and age, Honestly, with with modern technology, we have views of the stadium from 20 different cameras. We have the records of which tickets were bought and in whose name. It's it's ridiculous if these fans don't get lifetime bans, at least from the stadium, and especially for those that hit the players, some type of um, 
whether it's felony or assault charges, something needs to happen to deter this this type of behavior. Yes. And can you imagine what would happen in the national sports media if this had been an NBA game and we saw the behavior? Exactly. Any any other sport. Um, and Denver, they're playing in the Broncos stadium. If someone hits, you know, a football player on on their sideline or in the game, you know this is going to be a national story. But meanwhile, five players are hit. Um, team is drenched in soda and beer. A Mexico player gets hit in the head. Fiorena gets concussed. And here we are talking about it on our incredibly popular podcast. <laughs> yep. So, all right, we're going to move to speedball. We're going to try and get through as many rounds as possible. Um, what do you think? Should we give each other 30 seconds or 60 seconds each and just switch off um, between the topics? Let's go 60 seconds and just see what we have to say about the various <laughs> wild things that made this match so entertaining from a neutral fan perspective. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to start the timer. We're going to do some rapid fire. You're up first, Tom. How about the okay. second minute goal? I mean, nothing to say about it except credit to Tata Martino for a great game plan, a great strategy. If you're a U.S. fan, you have a lot to complain about here. I think there are a clock four or five people who really made big mistakes. You could tell it was nerves from a final. You could tell it was just a bad decision for McKenzie to make that pass. And, well, the U.S. hasn't given up that fast of a goal in the modern era. That's wild to see in a final like that. Yeah, I think well said. <laughs> Very succinct. Um, so the next one is the experimental formation that the U.S. trotted out. I'll let you take that one, Jake. All right. So I am a firm believer in three in the back and five at the back formations. I thought that from a tactics and style perspective uh, was probably the wrong way to go out against Mexico. You know, Tata Martino is going to come out guns a-blazing, putting so much pressure on us. And to have three defenders, two of which can't really pass the ball that well. Um, Tim Ream was under pressure all night. John Brooks was was held um, and couldn't make any cross field balls. So to I like the formation, didn't love the tactics and strategy employed. Um, but man, I love me some wing backs. I love me some fluid false nine strikers. And at some points it worked, but we probably need to put in practice a bit more if we're going to do that going forward. Any additional thoughts? I think that that covers it pretty well. Nice. All right, so I'll let you take the disallowed goal for offsides after the VAR check. Man, corner kick, free header in the box, buried nicely by Mexico. Acosta and McKenney both fall asleep in the 24th minute, and he's offsides by one foot. Brooks steps up nicely to keep him offsides. And I can't think of a more influential moment in this match. There were so many of them, but this is the moment that changes it all. The U.S. equalizes less than three minutes later, and I thought after that they were the better team until Linus came on. So, thank God that VAR was in place for this game. Otherwise, Mexico runs away with it, I think. Imagine if we go down 2 nothing and it's the 25th minute, and our formation is being overrun. We have the wrong players on the field. I mean, it could have gotten a lot worse. For sure. 
All right. So let's move on to the 63rd minute keeper sub for the hometown kid who's only played three matches for his club in the last year. I loved this moment. I mean, obviously, hate to see any of the players go down, but I actually think the keeper position isn't locked in to Zach Steffen as number one. And especially after this game, Ethan Horvath just had a phenomenal game. Save after save, capped it off with the penalty in your hometown after a year of trials and tribulations. I love seeing his face after the game. He was crying, smiling, hugging all of his teammates. Um, He had a few shutouts in the Champions League group stage this year with his club. And he was crying on the field after some of those because he hadn't seen his family in over a year because of COVID. So I could not be happier for this young man. Yeah, I agree. All right. So the two set piece equalizers for the U.S., what do you think? I mean, amazing, just purely amazing. The U.S. has not been threatening for set pieces on set pieces for years. And all of a sudden to just dominate the aerial battles all night long and just to keep battling back. I mean, Weston McKenney really willed this game to be competitive and just no one had an answer for him. I couldn't believe it. Every single time that the U.S. took a corner, Weston McKinney with a free header to trouble Ochoa, and he finally buried one in the 82nd minute, and it was really well-deserved. Yep. Just wild for the U.S. to keep battling back. You just got to love the grit and determination to keep doing that. Yeah. Well, a second Geo swinging the corners into McKinney's head is a recipe for success that will hopefully yeah, last and, us another decade. And after Legette's poor delivery last match, can you... Uh, I was going to say... delivery was night and day. That just made yeah. me all the more mad that Legette was on set pieces for the Honduras game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pulisic has never been a great set piece taker. And I, I touched on this earlier, but I actually said that at some point in the game. I was like, why is Pulisic delivering these? He's never been very good at this. <laughs> and then he goes and whips in two this, balls to goals. This was a game where they really just wanted to prove you wrong. Yeah, I, I feel slighted <laughs> you, by the You US were top today. of mind for them, so thanks for the win, Tom. <laughs> Really appreciate you motivating our boys. Happy to help. <laughs> um, so let's move on to this next one. I don't know if you saw the re- video of this or not, but at halftime, oh, I did. it was a Mexican fan who storms the broadcast booth and ends up jumping over a balcony. <laughs> Any so if you're thoughts watching on, on this? YouTube, this is going to be playing on repeat while we're talking about it. But I just loved, like the change in temper and the change in emotion on the players of all the broadcasters as the moment was happening. Like as the fan comes onto the balcony, they're all kind of registering what's happening. Uh, Clint Dempsey is probably thinking about which hook he's going to give him to knock him out. Um, I wouldn't step to Clint Dempsey or Aguchi on Yewu. Uh, They would probably beat me up. And even if I was cloned five times, but then he jumps off the balcony and everyone needs to re-register what just happened, including the security guy that's now on camera looking extremely satisfied slash confused. And in, in a game full of moments that you have to enjoy, smile and laugh at, that is maybe up there for me. So next up, we have on our CONCACAF list extra time. Any thoughts on that, Jake? This game deserved nothing more 
and an additional 30 minutes. And for a game that had everything, it just needed that little bit of extra spice. Um, despite the two penalties, I think the most interesting moment there was just how well the U.S. Uh, executed time-wasting. Little needs to be said there, but keeping it in the corner, being fouled, winning throw-ins for the last five minutes. Um, I think ex- not only extra time, but the time added at each of the halves. Didn't you say there was over 20 minutes of added time this game? Someone on Reddit clocked it 35 total minutes of stoppage time. Wow. There was only one minute given after the first half, but the ref gave 10 minutes after the beginning, 10 minutes at the beginning of, at the end of the game, if not more, I think it ended up going 11 or 12. Then he gave seven minutes after the first half of extra time. And then he was supposed to give five minutes, the end of the second half of extra time. But that went on for 15 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy amount of time added. So we already talked about the choking warning issue to the Mexican player. Um, How about the match being suspended due to homophobic slurs being chanted? There's nothing to, this is unacceptable that this is allowed to continue. And CONCACAF has to figure out a way to deal with this because it's just going to be an issue going forward and we've got to get it out of the game. Yeah. I do have my, or the federations have to step up here and put a little bit of pressure. Mm, I agree. And, you know, I, I do really wish that they would put something similar in place for protecting players from stuff thrown at them, but protecting them from insults is a good start and needs to be done, dealt with. I was a little worried that after the Mexican fans got more frustrated, we might see this escalate because we have a three-step protocol that ends in mass match suspension and played behind closed doors the next day. And I really didn't want to get there, but at the same time, there have to be punishments behavior. Absolutely. So we already talked about the next few things. So let's run to the U.S. manager runs into the field to put the ball back in play. Oh, man. Greg Berhalter today or yesterday really just he showed the urgency needed to be a manager of a team chasing a game. That moment where he just like grabs the ball out of the air, sprints down the field to chuck it to Yedlin was excellent. <laughs> he, he was really going for the 12th man award. Yeah, he was. He, he had that moment. <laughs> and with, he, you know, he had, yeah, he, he got that ball. He, that was a basketball player level pass. Like that was, it was well executed. It was, it was. All right. So once the match was in the 10 minutes that were added onto the second extra time, two different Mexican fans were invading the pitch um what do you think there there's there's a joke in here somewhere about mexican being out of substitutions at this point and trying (laughs) to introduce more players (laughs) i'm not sure i'm clever enough to make it but i mean mexico's chasing goal at this point why are you disrupting the game like you're just making it harder for them to get that goal I, i don't know i didn't understand this one one bit i it was one of the more bizarre, more conca-caffy moments of the match. Agreed. And if I'm a player, I'm pissed. If I'm a Mexican player, I am so mad at the fans for doing that. I'm mad at them for throwing things onto the field, obviously because of the behavior, but also because we're chasing the game and we need a goal. So hilarious that fans would think that was a good idea. Um, obviously, the ones that do that probably aren't the sharpest tools in the shed, but it remains to be said 
you probably have some basic knowledge of of soccer and want to help your team as much as possible. Mm-hmm. All right, so we we survived speedball. The speed round is over. Do you have anything left to say to the people before we close up shop? I mean, to all of our U.S. fan, our Yanks following along, enjoy this moment because that is a game that we are going to remember for a long time. And it feels good. We beat Mexico in a final for the first time in eight years. Put this into the record books. This is going to be one that we go back to and watch year over year. But like Tom said, Mm -hmm. thanks everyone so much for listening. We're looking to start producing these pods every Wednesday. So follow us on Twitter and YouTube for more U.S. content that's related to soccer, whether that's U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team, MLS, or our Yanks abroad. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to Tom for co-hosting with us.